Amen <laughs> to that. Uh, we're in John chapter 1, and our text is verses 14 through 18. So I'm going to ask if we'll stand in our great God's honor as I read. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you right now. You open our hearts and our eyes so we can see, so we can see our, our good son on the cross, the hope, the forgiveness that's waiting for Father, we just ask you fill this place. We just ask that we are able to hear from you, Lord, as a result. Speak. And Father, we want to have hearts that will listen and ears as well. In your name we pray. Amen. A recent poll conducted. Well, I say recent. It was two years ago. These polls are usually not like this year. But the poll said that 69% of Americans identify as Christians. And you think, wow, there's 69% of people that live in this country who are Christians. But when you dig down a little bit deeper, they asked another question that said, um, how many believe the Bible and follow Jesus Christ as he is revealed to us in the Bible. That dropped to 9% from 69%. And then when they asked the question, those who identified themselves as born-again Christians or evangelicals, that dropped to 28 to 35% of the population. It's a big question. Who is Jesus? Do we know Jesus? Is he an acquaintance? Someone that we met a long time ago. Maybe if we saw him we would remember. Or is he our salvation? And as we look in our text this morning, the Apostle John, when he first saw Jesus Christ, he knew there's something about him but he didn't fully understand who he was. That took some time. As a matter of fact, can, can you think about it? He spent over three years personally following Jesus. Not just when he talked to the crowds, not just when he healed, but when they had um, Jewish chicken together, you know, cooked over the fire. Uh, he saw Jesus, how he treated people when there were just two or three people and not two or three hundred people and more gathered around them. 
So when he opened his gospel, the gospel of John, he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So he understood at some point it clicked who Jesus actually is. And then you come down to verse 14 and it tells us and the word became flesh and he lived for a while among us. There's a story about a little church in the mountains. You know, we could fit that description. And this little church over their sound system. Now, sometimes we've picked up radio stations in the past. You never know who may come in while we're, you know, listening to a message. But uh, they were able to pick up on their frequencies truck drivers as they talked to one another. So on this particular morning, a passionate prayer was offered that said, Lord God, we need you. Lord God, please speak to us. And through the sound system, they heard, 10-4, we're on our way. <laughs> Which is the beauty of the gospel is God heard the cry of people who were broken and who needed to be forgiven and who needed to have a right relationship with the living creator, the God of all. And he said, I'm on my way. I'm coming. And, and of course, that's the story of the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. And just in John chapter 1 alone, there are a lot of different names that are used to describe Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, of course, Christ, Lord, Word, the Word, God, Light, Life, the True Light. I love what was said of Billy Sunday, the evangelist uh, that was used mildly of God way before Billy Graham came along. And he was a former professional baseball player and got saved and uh, preached the gospel with passion. But he said this, Billy Sunday said, there are 265 different names in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose it's because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. You see, one name just can't say it all about Jesus Christ. He is one of a kind. He is unique. There's nobody like Jesus. And we're going to look this morning at four different areas in this text of how he's unique. The first one is he is unique in his nativity or the way he was born. You know, Christmas uh, means different things to different groups. Now, for a small child, man, Christmas is a wonderful anticipation and expectation of what's going to come. Small children especially, they just can't rest. They're trying to figure out when they can bust out of their room and head downstairs and find all those wonderful gifts, wondering if their cookies got eaten. By the guy who was supposed to deliver those wonderful gifts. It's also a great time to decorate the tree. There's just a lot of excitement for kids. Now for teenagers, you know, hey, I'm out of school. I want to go to school. I can sleep late. And, you know, uh, maybe when I wake up at 12 or 1 o'clock, there'll be something great under that tree, you know, that I really want that I can enjoy. And for adults, of course, it's a time to be with family and friends, to see loved ones we haven't seen. But it's also kind of a hard time, at least before that day, because 
we're expected to buy gifts for one another, and usually they have everything anyway. So we got to try to figure out, well, what can I buy them that they really want or need? And how am I going to make a good choice? And how expensive is it going to be? And, and so there are those kind of difficulties. Or in our area, it may mean, you know, going to the lights at the Speedway and, you know, seeing all of that beauty when people think about Christmas. And, of course, for the Christians, for the believers, it's remembering that first Christmas, that first time where there was a manger, that first time where God entered the world as a baby, the real meaning of Christmas. And in verse 14 here, we have a, a beautiful picture of, of Christmas. The Word became flesh. That, that's, that's Christmas. That he, he came as a little baby, the most vulnerable form. He was born. He became flesh and He lived for a while among us, 33 years and he said in that time that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. Uh, we, we looked at last time when, when it talked about him being the Word, coming from the beginning, that the Greeks looked at this as the power of the order. As a matter of fact, I think of... Um, Psalm 19, verse 1, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. So there's this picture of, you know, the planets are in orbit around the sun. And there is this, this amazing order. How did this happen? How does everything function like it does? <laughs> and, and so when they thought of this concept of the word, they thought of the fact of a divine creator who holds everything together. And for the Jews, it was simply the, the work and the presence of God in the world. And, and, and of course, putting that together, that describes who Jesus Christ is. He is the source of all living things, and He sustains all living things. As a matter of fact, Hebrews opens up and it tells us, God, who at different times and in different ways spoke in the past to the prophets or to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. The final word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word who became a man. It's crazy to think about infinity becoming finite, the invisible becoming visible, eternity somehow being squeezed into time and into a moment of a human life, God walking amongst humanity, it's just hard to believe. He doesn't look the part when we think of how great God is and how powerful that He is. In Camelot, in the opening scene, King Arthur is not dressed as a king. He's dressed as a peasant and he's out in the woods. And the first time that people see him in that opening of the play, they don't recognize him because he does not look the part of a king. As a matter of fact, when Guinevere first met him, she did not realize he was the king of Camelot. Didn't, she didn't know his identity because he didn't look the part. And when we saw Jesus Christ... Coming as a baby, and even as he grew, as someone who 
did not have possessions, who did not play the part of a powerful king. He did not look the part to people. A.T. Robertson, a well-known Greek scholar, said this, this is beyond the power of interpretation as we think about who Jesus is. Listen to 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Man, what a, what a thought. When we think about Jesus coming as a baby. So we think about Christmas, His birth. When it says we have seen His glory, that's actually from the word, we get our word theater. And of course, you know what happens when you go to a theater. You watch something for a couple of hours. You study it intently and intensely. Uh, whether it's a play or a movie. As, as a matter of fact, uh, C and I are supposed to go to a movie today with uh, Atticus. And he had made out these uh, invitations and, and to hand out. Yeah, I know Robert got one. He was going to give out some more, and he thought, my dad may not like it if we have too many guests. So he said, maybe we should give out all these uh, invitations. Uh, but the picture here is John said, we watched Jesus closely. We studied him for that time. We did not come about this understanding of who he is lightly. We checked him out. And so physically, when you looked at him, was he an impressive guy? <laughs> well, it tells us in Isaiah 53... 700 years before that time that Jesus came as a little baby and, and grew in human form. It tells us in verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, you, you couldn't look at him and say, wow, look at that. You had to be around him a while to see fully who he is. That is what John is seeking to communicate. Matter of fact, it was interesting. I looked up articles back to the day of Jesus Christ, what the average Jewish man looked like. And the average Jewish guy was five foot one, weighed 110 pounds. Uh, you know, he had dark eyes. It certainly wasn't like any of. The pictures we have in our mind from seeing Jesus in, in movies, um, the westernized picture of Jesus. But the point is, it, it's not his physical appearance, it's who he was. The Messiah, the promised one. That's the nativity. Now, secondly, he's unique in his supremacy, who he is. Look at verse 15. Tells us John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now this is John the Baptist who said these words. John the Baptist was no small personality in that time. He was a powerful preacher. And he was out in the wilderness, in the desert, and yet people came from far away, and they came to hear him. Why? Because they knew he was sent from God. When he spoke, God was there, and they wanted to know God. 
And he had a, a baptism. They called it the baptism of John, which was a baptism of, I've got to change my life. I've got to think about God, and I've got to live for God. And, and so in his power, he did not want to be powerful. He wanted to point to Jesus. Matter of fact, um, in Acts, we read... Acts 19 about some guys that uh, that were trying to share the gospel with and they said hey have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you believed and they were you know talking about following God and they said no who's the Holy Spirit what are you talking about and he said well have you been baptized yeah we've been baptized but we haven't heard of the Holy Spirit so tell me about your baptism. And they said, well, we were baptized into the baptism of John. So there were followers of John after the growth of the church and the persecution of the church that had spread out. People who had not heard the full truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what John is saying here in this particular verse he who comes after me, well, he was older. He was born six months ahead of Jesus. But he said, but he was still way before me <laughs> because this one had no true birth. In the beginning, he was. In the beginning was the Word. He was with God in the beginning. Hey, man, he was before the beginning. As I've talked about a couple of weeks, I can't explain that completely to you. But what I can tell you is he was and he is. The great I am. Remember when he spoke to the religious leaders. And Jesus was tough on them because, man, they were just arrogant. They were not humble people. And they asked him, they said, are you greater than our father Abraham? And he responded to them, before Abraham was, I am. I've always been. And then they said, you are acting as if you are more than just a man, that you are God. And so they wanted to condemn him. It, and so it talked about that they went forth from that point, plotting how they might take his life. Jesus was, he was supreme. The true king. The, the one that they were looking for. Third, Jesus Christ is unique in his generosity. I love this next verse, verse 16, he tells us, From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. I love that description. From the fullness of His grace. Grace is getting, guys, what you don't deserve. And the reservoir of that is Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the grace of God. Of all the gifts that we don't deserve that we have received it's from the fullness of Jesus Christ that is the source of that grace now a couple of points here first is common grace common grace is what is taken for granted all people receive common grace common grace are things that we just have and we don't think about I'm walking and that's common grace not everybody can walk I'm breathing. Believe it or not, there are people who can't breathe on their own. They're hooked up to machines to even breathe. Uh, I have a house or, you know, I 
had something to eat before I came. Um, you know, we can go on and on. These little gifts that are so often overlooked, that is common grace. That also is proof of a benevolent God that we can trust and that we can love, that we have friends or people that care about us. Man, this is all common grace. But there's also covenant grace. All this comes from the fullness. The fullness of grace, Jesus Christ. Um, Covenant grace, of course, is the opportunity to be forgiven. It's the opportunity of God being more than just someone you heard about, but someone you hear from each day as you are able to communicate through the great high priest Jesus Christ and have a relationship with and be connected to a community of believers which we describe as a church. That's covenant grace. Common grace, covenant grace. It all comes from the fullness of His grace, Jesus Christ. He is benevolent. I love 2 Peter 1.3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power. Man, do you want to be godly? Do you want to live for the Lord? He tells us, you got what you need. He's given us everything we need to accomplish that. But it, it, does, it comes through our knowledge of Him. Do you know Him? That's what He's getting at. And when he says, do you know him? We're talking beyond a story maybe you heard at Bible school years ago or that you heard from your grandparents or some distant word that you heard that introduced you to Christ. But he's talking even beyond that. He's saying the knowledge of him. Do you know him as your personal savior? Is he your salvation? Is he your hope when you die to have life? Is he your strength? That's what he's talking about here. And all that comes not because of how good we perform, but notice what he says, by his own glory and goodness. Man, it brings God glory to bring you into his kingdom, into his family. That covenant grace, that, that power of, of the work that he does, it comes from the fullness of his grace. He is a generous God. And then... One last one here um, that I want to share with that is Jesus Christ is unique in his clarity. Notice um, again what he says here in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son who is at the Father's side has made him known. Now in the Old Testament, they were terrified of encountering the living God because He is so awesome. They said no one could survive. And look at God. I mean, they would just drop dead because He's just He's just too glorious. And remember, even Moses, and they were, they were friends, they were close. And Moses said, Man, I want to see your, I want to see your glory, God. And he said, You couldn't handle it. I'll let you see the back of my head. You know, this, this is all that you're going to get. That's the peak you're going to get. And he was the one who was described as closest to God. There are those who saw angels who spoke for God. But to look directly upon God. And yet the scripture tells us that in Jesus Christ, we are able to see face to face. 
with God through Christ. Even though we haven't seen God, Jesus, the closest relationship with the Father by His side, made Him known to follow Him and to see Him. We live in a confinement of space and time. Um, you know, I may want to jump out of this body and, you know, get my cape and be, you know, like Superman or whatever, but I'm confined, man. This is what I've got. You know, I don't have, I don't have something else that I can depend upon. And when we think about our relationship with God, how, how, how does that happen? How does that occur? Because we are trapped in a type of box by boundaries. So how do we reach God since we are confined and He is not? If you read the Koran and prayed five times a day toward Mecca, you can poke a hole in the box and you'll be in the supernatural, someone would tell you, but that's not going to work. Just facing a certain direction and praying a certain prayer is not going to get you out of the box. Someone else might say, you need to pray to many gods. You need to keep your mind open and expand your ability to, to know and, and to think. And, and then maybe in that way you can poke a hole through the box. But that is not going to get you out of the box. Expanding your mind, that's, that's not enough. Or someone else would say, if you believe in the goodness of people and be supportive of people regardless of what they believe and just believe in them and trust in them, that is the knowledge that you need to get you out of that box, out of that confinement that keeps you away from God. But you know what? That is not going to get you out of the box. There's only one way to get out of the box. You know how? God has to crawl in the box with you. And get you out of the box. That is the beauty and that is the story of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because He is the only one who is able to crawl in the box with us. And to free us from the box. The one and only Son, full of grace and truth. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, God or the Son of God became a man that men and women might become sons and daughters of God. There's no one like Jesus. He is the only one that can provide. Guys, what we need. Let's pray. Lord, um, there's no one like you, Jesus. It's that simple. And we live in a world where there are a lot of voices a lot of ways that we're told we can get out of this box. But the only way that can really happen is for you to enter the box, O oh God of heaven. And that is our hope. That is the gospel. Your word says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. May your power move, Lord. Um, here and to those who are listening. And, and Father, when we leave this place to people we haven't even met yet, that as they hear the message of the cross, may they see that there's power there. May you move and touch hearts. And, and Lord, just do a wonderful work. We cry out to you and we ask, Lord, that 
you reveal yourself here in this time that we set apart for response or invitation. God, we just want to meet you. In Christ's name we pray.